Well, good evening. Glad that we can come together this evening. Hope you'll take your Bible and be turning along with us the Word of God. We are going to look at some passages. I hope and pray it will be a benefit to us. And we're very glad and have the privilege to be able to join in and worship together. I want to say thanks for the opportunity to speak this evening in Roger's place, and or Jason, I don't know which, but uh, we're glad that you can uh, join us this evening. Hope that we can look at God's Word together. Well, you've heard it, no doubt, for a number of years, whether it's kids talking at school, whether it's somebody talking in a grocery store line, or whether it is someone that is talking in the break room at work. It is what it is. No matter what the subject is at the time, no matter who's involved and the persons that are a part of it, no matter what it is that it is, you've heard that phrase, it is what it is. And I want to talk about that for just a moment this evening and say, really? And I know that when you put the influx on really, it's one way that you say it is one thing and another is another. You might say, really? Oh, okay, yeah, I really believe that. Or Really? Oh, come on. That's ridiculous. So, maybe in some ways, we'll look at that in a couple of different ways this evening. Because the fact is, it is what it is at certain times, and sometimes it really is. Sometimes it is what just happens to be at our time in life. It happens to be, it's an unchosen reality. It may be that we have health conditions that we never asked for and that we never expected that we never really wanted, if you were to ask about it, and we were entirely honest. There was a woman in Mark, the fifth chapter, that came as Jesus was traveling along. He was actually going to try to raise, or was not to try, but was going to raise a man's son who had died. And she, in some way, thought that she could just simply ease up in the back of the crowd, and if she could just touch the hem of his garment, she'd be healed of an issue of blood that she had had for 12 years She had no doubt seen every doctor that she could, probably spent every dime that she would have had, and just simply was absolutely no better, but she grew worse. And in that process, you see that woman in verse 25, there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. No doubt she had never asked for that. She had never expected it, perhaps, and never really wanted to go through all the things that she had gone through. So at some times in life, sometimes there are folks that I know, there are some that are very close to our family that have had children that just simply have been born with an issue in their bodies that was always there and would never be changed or would never really be healed in some way or another. And it was an unchosen reality for them. Paul talks about an aspect of his life that certainly was what he described, a thorn in the flesh. Sometimes there are family situations. They are things that have to do with our history, maybe previous family and family history. Maybe it's challenges that we have as a result of family things that have come up in the past. And we had nothing to do and no choices to be made about those particular things. It just simply became our unchosen reality. And that really was what we had to deal with in some way or another. And so we might say it is what it is. It's an unchosen thing for us. And yet it is something that is there that we have in our life. 
that is something that we had no choice in and something that maybe that we just simply have to deal with. Maybe it's a past that I had no choice in. That is a past that's not mine, but a past that has happened historically, and that may be family or may not be. And even within our culture today, there are some who would look at the past of the history of our culture and of our nation and would say that there are you, that it's you, and it's people today that are to blame for that. And the reality is that just simply can't be true. That can't be right. And say, well, to say it is what it is is not to say that with ourselves and to say, well, I don't care, but it is, well, that's where it is right now. And in fact, it may be something that's grown entirely better that those may not be able or willing to admit to, but it may be just simply the past that we had nothing to do with and were never around to expect or to have any engagement in. And I had no choice about the matter in some way or another. It may be that it is just simply in life. It is like Solomon speaks of in Ecclesiastes 9, in verse 11. I saw under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. Again, it's not a matter of we just simply don't care about those things but it just simply may be a matter of the time that we're in. It may be a matter of the time that our life is in. It may be, as Solomon would talk about in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 earlier, that which so oftentimes is printed places of great distress and great sorrow, but he talks about the seasons of life, the seasons that, again, just happen to be where we are in our particular life, and if you've lived for just a little while and maybe a long while, you've experienced different seasons of your life times in which you were entirely able to do certain things at certain times in life, and other times in which you just simply would like to do those simple things. And they're not very easy, if even attainable at times. And yet in all of that, whether it is a health condition or whether it is family history and challenges, or whether it is other challenges, or even if it is the seasons of life, can I just simply say that sometimes that unchosen reality in the midst of that, especially if we're talking about ourselves as Christians, as children of God, could I just simply say, don't lose heart. Take, take courage and power in the Lord. Take the heart in the fact that you're a child of God. And as Paul would describe in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 1, he says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, he encouraged those Corinthian brethren, we do not lose heart. Paul had a lot to deal with. He had had a health condition of some kind or another that he had certainly, that he had prayed to the Lord about. And he says that to those brethren, you know, even in spite of that, in spite of all the times that he said that he had been beaten and imprisoned and been drugged through all kinds of things, in and out of, or out of cities mostly, and even as he had been, suffered shipwreck on more than one occasion, he says there are things that are continue to be lived for in our service to the Lord. And so he encourages a church that had experienced an entirely vast number of challenges with themselves and even within that local congregation, and he encourages them, do not lose heart. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 there, and later in verses 16 through 18, he says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction. Really? We'd rather not say it that way when it's our affliction. But Paul says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not at things that are seen, but at the things that are unseen. 
For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Sometimes when we look at our life and how despaired we could become, the thing is that we may need to just simply to see that that may be the time that it is in our life, and it may just simply be life itself that comes about. And of course, as people are so prone to say, it is what it is. And I don't say that just simply to say that we dismiss those things in any way, shape, or form, but just maybe to leave it with an encouragement that don't lose heart. Especially if you're a child of God, put your hope in the Lord. Put your hope in Him in spite of the challenges and the problems that life brings. And make sure that you always have that hope in Him. At some times, even with an unchosen reality, we may say, some people may say, it is what it is. But think about the fact that we need to sometimes look at some people and realize that there are people that have refused to change. They refuse to do what's right. They refuse to because they are just simply what the Scriptures describe. Not we ourselves, but just simply the Scriptures say, are people who are ungodly. They're everywhere. They're all the places that we are day by day. They do whatever they want, whatever their selfish desires and hearts determine to do, whatever their body leads them to do, that's what they engage in whether it's emotional or physical or any of those things, the real reason for all the th problems in life is sin. The real reason for crime and oppression and, and abuse and all of those types of things, everything that's going bad in the world, the reason is sin. There was a major news event a few years ago, and it, some people were talking about it at work, and one particular young man was talking about it. He was, he was just fervent about it. And he, he was talking about all the, you know, the terribleness of, of, the, of the event itself, and he was exactly right. It was terrible. It was, it was horrifying that it ever should have happened the way that it did. And I had a break in his self, and the thing that he said, I said, you know what? I said, you know what the real problem is? Sin. He kind of took back a little bit. I said, that's the real problem with all of this. That's the real problem with this whole world. Sin is the whole problem with all of this. And there are people who are determined to live any old way they want to and every way that is against God. It's a world that's in sin. And it had never been the world that God intended it to be. In 2 Peter, the second chapter, if you look there for just a moment, in 2 Peter chapter 2, you notice in the first six verses there is Peter writes about this, this idea of those who are ungodly and those who are, have been teaching things that are false. He says, but false prophets arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in, the in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into the hell, and had committed them to chains of gloomy darkness, to be kept until the judgment, if He did not spare the ancient world... But preserve Noah, a herald of righteous, unrighteous, or excuse me, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. There are people that are just simply ungodly. 
And there have been times in our world that it was horrendous. I can't imagine what it would be to be like Noah. To speak and to preach and to try to tell others, you know the problem is sin? And nobody listened. Nobody was willing to get on that ark. Nobody but his own family was willing to do that. Why? Because sometimes there are just simply people that refuse to change. They are ungodly people. There are people that truly our scriptures talk about and describe as being evil. In Romans, the first chapter, as Paul stands in the city of Rome and would see the daily activities, even as he describes there in certain times in which he's been there, he would talk about as he writes to that church there, as they would go about from place to place in the streets of that city and would see all of what people are doing and engaged in. He says to them in Romans chapter 1 and verse 22, Claiming to be wise, they become fools, and exchange the glory of immortal God for images resembling mortal man, and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up. Think about that phrase. Remember it. Hear it again. You will. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women to exchange the natural relations for those who had, had contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up and debased to a debased mind. <coughs> and to do what they ought, well, ought not to have been done. And he goes on to talk about slanderers and haters of God, insolent and proud. They're the people that stand and shake their fist in the, in the face of God and say, I'm not going to serve you. And if it means I've got to change anything in my life, I'll never do it. Because it feels good, it sounds good, I want to do it, and you're not going to tell me no. There are people that are like that. They're ungodly. There are people that are, are, are evil. And there are people that are just simply unforgiving. I really believe, and Scripture tells, the fact that if we can not forgive, we can spend eternity realizing and remembering that I was determined not to do that. And I can't imagine to spend eternity thinking, you know, if I would have just simply gotten over myself and my own pride and my own determination to just simply have it my way or be right or to think that they had done me wrong and more wrong than I ever was done before and I'll never forgive I can spend eternity thinking about that there are people that are unforgiving and we've got to go beyond that we've got to be overwhelmed and be overwhelmed by the grace and the mercies of God but there's some people that won't be you know, if it is that they will refuse to change, they may be evil, they may be ungodly, they may be unforgiving, and just simply mean and hateful. How many times have you stood in a line at a store, maybe just simply one of the dollar trees or dollar stores? It's not a dollar anymore, by the way. Well, I'm a little miffed by that. But anyway, you stand there in that line and somebody is sitting behind the register and ringing as fast as they can and they've got, somebody's come in, they've got the little bitty carts, you know, and they've got it piled up like this. You hated that you got in that line anyway. But the person is trying just as absolutely hard and fast as they can to do it and 
The only thing the person with the cart can do is fuss and argue and be hateful and nasty and just tear the people that are around them apart and describe in terrible ways about how they're having to wait and if they just hurry up and all these types of things. And they say, well, you know, it is what it is. You get in one of these lines. It always just... And they talk about it and they're ugly and they're hateful and they're nasty to people. If we're not careful, we might follow the same course. You get up to the register yourself and say, boy, this person really is pretty slow. Well, they can't seem to do any better, right? You know, maybe that guy was right beforehand. Or perhaps we could be a Christian. Perhaps we could be somebody to try to be an encourager and help and encourage and do better than that. But there are people who never will. They're determined not to. They're determined to be ugly and hateful. They're determined to be mean to anybody that I have the opportunity to be. And the fact of the matter is, if you want to say it is what it is, it's true. We'll never really change another person. Not in and of ourselves. There are people that are going to determine to do their life and to live it the way they desire, and they really don't want to be changed. And I can't change them myself in some sort of mandatory fashion. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, if we're less we become too determined to realize that we are so fantastic and wonderful ourselves, maybe we've been in some of those places of being the ungodly, even the one that determined to be unforgiving and determined to do live our life. Paul says, for while we still we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Yeah, there are a bunch of ungodly people out there. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person one would dare even to die. Why would they even give their life for those type of people? For one will scarcely give their life for that type of person. Verse 8, but God shows His love for us. God showed His love for me. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Because, you know, I've lived myself, my life outside of the will of God. I've lived my life determined that I was going to live the way I wanted to live. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. And the fact is, I might say in some form or fashion, it is what it is, and that's the way I'm going to live. And I've refused to change. But if I've come to the point of realization as being a child of God, becoming a child of God and a Christian, and I need to realize that there are some people that refuse to change, and maybe I need to do everything I can to help to show them what is right. And maybe there are some people, though, that just simply never will. And that's sad to say. It is what it is. Can I be very transparent with you this evening and honest? I have really never, ever, ever liked that phrase. Everybody's going to say it to me now on the way out the door. I know that's the case. But I have despised that phrase. You say, why in the world do you use it for your sermon outline? Because I think it makes a point. I just really, I'll hear people talking about that, and it's people that just, why they say it is they just say, well, you know, it is what it is. You know why I've hated it the most? Is because what it does, it just simply assents to the fact that that's the way it is, and I'm never going to do any different or any better. That's the way it is, and I'm never going to try to encourage any better or to do any better. I'm never going to actually seek for a solution to the problem. It is what it is. There was an author that wrote in Inc. magazine a little while back, and he described a military leader who does some 
military training and things of that nature. He does a podcast now, I think. And this was his quote from that gentleman. He says, here's the problem with it is what it is. It abdicates responsibility, shuts down creative problem solving, and concedes defeat. A leader who uses the expression is a leader who faced a, cha- faced a challenge, failed to overcome it, and explained it away in the episode as an inevident, unavoidable force circumstances. Replace, he suggests, it is with what it is, with resulted, this resulted because I failed to blank. And you get the entirely different discussion. Yeah, maybe it is what it is because there were things that just simply sometimes I had no power over. It is what it is because there are some people that I just simply could not change and they refused to change. But it is what it is, and that is, it's not at these times. It's not at these times when I have been succumbed to and have suffered now from my own personal choices. You hear those conversations all the time as well. Well, it is, this is the, what's going on in their life and how terrible it is, the things that they have to suffer through and the things. But what you find out if you listen long enough or if you pay close enough attention is it is what it is and they are suffering that's come about is due to my past sinful choices that I've made. And that could be the same true as us, brethren. May I encourage you, if you're a Christian, a child of God, understand that you're forgiven of every sin that you've ever committed in your prior life, prior to be obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have the wonderful opportunity to can pray to God on a regular basis and ask for His forgiveness. The cleansing power of Jesus' blood continues to wash you as white as snow, and how fantastic that is. But if there is something, whether it's in your body, or whether it is in your attitude, or whether it's in whatever part of your life, and you just simply realize or determine that there is something that is there, and you say, well, it is what it is. But why it's there, the why it is, is like Paul talks about there in Romans, the first chapter, and he talks about that they suffer in their own bodies as a result of the life that they've lived. Don't brush that off and say it just simply is what it is. If you need to, buck up and say, it's that way because I lived the wrong way. I've lived in sin, and I know what that sin does to you. And if you have the opportunity to talk to somebody and be willing to say, I'll tell you what the consequences bring as a result of that. And that's a sinful choice. Don't make that choice anymore. Encourage, realize that not at the times of personal choices in sin have made us to suffer. Not then as it is what it is. It is because I've chosen it to be. If there are addictive sinful habits that I'm active in, still yet in my life as as a child of God even, it is what it is, yeah it is, but I need to change it. I've got the opportunity and the power so we can never overcome that. Yes, you can. Well, how do you do it? Well, there are a number of different things that may factor into that, but I'll tell you how it's all done. It's done by the power of God. And the power that's given by Jesus Christ. It is done because I have the forgiveness of sins as a Christian. It is what it is because I've made bad choices. It is what it is because I continue to make those bad choices. And I'm addicted to something I should never be addicted to and never continue to be addicted to. And I need to make the choice and gain the power by God to have the opportunity, and, and certainly I do have the opportunity, but give them the op- ability then to overcome that, rather than just wave it off and dismiss it, and you say, well, you know, God's a forgiving God. 
Oh, he'll just, it, it'll be all right. Wonder if there was any in Noah's day, if they had heard Noah's preaching at the time and at the, at the moments prior to the flood, would have said, well, you know, that's just the way the world is. That's just, it is just, it is what it is. I don't think they probably had a hint in their mind in a certain sense, but probably if there would be people today on a regular basis say, well, you know, God, Jesus loves everybody. God, God's going to forgive everybody. We're all going to heaven after a while. It, it just is what it is. Don't worry about it. No, be concerned. It is what it is, but it may mean that I've just simply conceded defeat. It may mean that I'll never have the opportunity to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, because I haven't tried to make myself good. I'll never do it entirely by myself, but only by the power of God. But I've never decided that I'm going to overcome it. It is what it is, but not at these times when it's a personal choice that I've made. And I may be just simply continuing to live in. It may be that it is what it is, but not at these times when I lack the care for my family to do the right thing. Paul talked about those gentlemen who will not provide for their own. They're worse than an infidel. Well, you know, it is what it is. You just can't get a good job these days. It is what it is. You just can't. No. Well, it is what it is. Self-convicting been too many times in my life it is what it is but I wasn't leading like a husband or a father the way I should have been and it wasn't just it was what it was or is what it is it's that I need to start doing the right thing and leading the way I ought to lead and I can't just simply wave that off and dismiss it it is what it is but not at these times Maybe it is what it is, but it's not when I have bad attitudes and just simply I know the right thing to do. I know the right way to act. I can listen to passages like Paul describes in the book of Galatians, in Galatians the fifth chapter, where he describes the fruits of the Spirit. You know what the consequence is or what the illustrative idea is? If we don't do the very things that is described there and gaining and having that fruit, he talks about all the bad fruit, by the way, there in the first verses or the earlier verses in verses 18 through 21. In verse 22 of Galatians 5, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit. Can I, can I give you a little soapbox for just a moment? And that is, that does not say fruits. It says fruit. There is one thing that's planted in a heart of a child of God. It is the Spirit. And that Spirit bears fruit. Now the pictures are very lovely. They're wonderful in our kids' classes. I didn't go around to look and see if they're in any of these, by the way, so I'm not picking on any teacher. We've got all the different, there's oranges and there's apples and pears and grapes. I'd suggest to you probably the grapes are the most accurate. You see, there is a vine it should be running into our hearts and our lives. There is a spirit that's been planted within us. And in that heart is the fruit of the spirit. What's it bring out? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, godliness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You say, well, you know, I'm not very good at a couple of those. You know, but it is what it is. No. No, it's not. I'm a Christian. I say I'm a child of God. I say as, though, as one who has had and received the Word of God that I have the Spirit that is planted within me by the Word of God. And that if that Word of God was within me, that I'm gentle. That I do have self-control. That I am patient. You say, well, I'm not very good at that sometimes. You're right, I'm not either. 
Does that mean I just dismiss it and excuse it and I'm not going to do anything any different? No. But if it's none, of, some of those is never or ever as a child, even as I describe myself as a Christian, and it's a bad attitude and bad fruit in my life, that it's not something to dismiss and to leave, leave it the way it is. If it's sinful relationships, it is what it is, but it must not be, and I must or you must get out of it. You must stop. If you're living in a relationship that is a sinful relationship, in marriage or outside of marriage or any other place, whatever we're talking about, the application is different in different places, but understand that the real, we need to realize, as the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 10 and verses 26 and 27, for if we go on sinning deliberately or willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. It isn't what it is. What it is, is that I'm realize, I need to realize that no longer does the sacrifice of Jesus Christ will apply to me if I determine to just go on doing my own life and living. Yeah, I said I'd be a Christian. Yeah, I, I, I was baptized one time somewhere, somewhere or another. Maybe that'll do some effect later. No, it's not it, what it is, what it is. Not at the times when I've made personal choices that are especially bad. And it's not with these people. It's not these people who are determined and defiant, once again, to shake their hand or their fist in the sight of God and decide not to come to the Lord. They know what's right. If you're here this evening, you know you've heard the gospel numerous times. You've heard what Jesus has done for you and what your response needs to be. Determined to do that. Maybe as even a Christian, you need to come back and to do the right thing once again. Determine and decide to serve the Lord. Don't refuse to rebuild your spiritual relationships. It's sad to say, but sometimes these people, maybe it is what it is, but not these people, who are determined defiant because they refuse to rebuild relationships with other Christians. And they have left this world. They've left this life. And you know if it was you, they never came and talked to you about it. That hurts me more than anything. I'm afraid it's brought dire consequences to them. I'm not the judge. I don't know. But if you need to go talk to somebody about what you need to make right or what you need to repair in that relationship, go do it. Because it is what it is, really. Not in these, not with these people. Not with people who are determined to serve their own selves and determined, I'll never say I'm sorry. I'll never tell them I did wrong. They did it first. They said the wrong thing first. I'll never forgive them. No, I may not be ready for judgment. It is what it is, but really? No, not with the people that are determined. I'm not going to be ready for the judgment. Because the fact is, it needs to be that I have a certain fearful expectation of judgment. Not just simply because there is a fury of fire that awaits, but because I'm determined to serve God. It is what it is, but not with the people that are determined to be defiant, and there are no waiting for them in hope. We need, as Christians, we need to be hopeful. We need to hope in heaven because if you're baptized and cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, you have a hope in heaven. Don't leave it off and expect it to be and think, well, 
You know, I I hope I get there. No, not that kind of hope. A hope that says, I'm hoping in heaven. I know I've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. I know there's a place that's prepared for those who are preparing themselves. I know that I am, what is it? Heaven bound. I know that I'm serving the Lord and I'm determined to be there. But I know I'll only be there with His grace and His mercy. And I know that I can have that opportunity. But it may not be those, or it certainly won't be with those who are determined and defiant. We already spoke of Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 26 and 27. And my, I just simply say to you, if any time you say it is what it is, and you want to say yes, absolutely, it is what it is, yes, absolutely, when it's the Word of God. Yes, absolutely, that's where you find what's truth. It's always the truth, it's always been the truth, and it forever will be. It's the Word of God, because all Scripture is breathed out by God, or is inspired and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, adequate for every good work. It is what it is when you're talking about the Word of God and what's right, interpreted appropriately, of course. It is what it is when you come to talk about God and who He really is. He's not an it, by the way. I hesitated to put it that way. But He is holy and righteous. He is the one that is just. He is the one that will be the one that describes and that will be described like the the one in Isaiah chapter 6. Go back and read that first part of that passage and see the picture of the seraphim and see those that flew with six wings. With two they flew, with two they covered their eyes, and two they covered their feet. And what did they shout as they flew around the throne? Holy, holy, holy. He's the one that's holy and just. We need to praise Him and honor Him and glorify Him. And that's a fantastic thing to understand. And it's true and it's real. And it's true and it's real that you will face Him in judgment. I will face Him in judgment. And yes, absolutely. I need to, by His power and His grace, be ready for that. It is what it is. Really? Maybe the way you say that last part, the change is one thing or another. But may I just simply say to you this evening, if you need to come to Jesus Christ, willing to repent of your sins and repenting of your sins and being baptized into Him tonight, we'd love to assist you with that. If you need to, as a child of God, need to, us to pray with you and for you and as a family, just simply to stand up beside you and encourage you and help lift up those arms. There was a time when Moses had to stand for the children of Israel to continue to fight and to be able to do that. And he had to have helpers that stood one on each side to hold his arms up because that's when they were winning the war. When he put his arms down, they were losing it. But if we need to help you hold your arms up so you continue to fight and you continue to win the battle with the strength and the power of God, we'd love to stand beside you and do that as a child of God. If we can serve you in some way or another this evening, we'd have you ask you to come to the front and make that wish known while we stand and while we sing.